and welcome to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. And welcome as our inaugural show, our very first, uh, very first episode that we've been talking about for what you know, uh, seven months. Yeah, I think we actually <laughs> started talking about this before we started talking about the site to begin with. I think you're right. I think you're right. But uh, uh, so you know, this is going to be a regular feature here on IdeologyOfMadness.com, and uh, you know, uh, Paul and I are your regular editors for Ideology. So, Paul, uh, what you been up to this week? You know, surprisingly little. Um, I hit the comic shop for the first time in two weeks, and when I take a week off, it, it's always pretty uh, devastating to the old wallet. <laughs> I tell you what, the 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 cost of missing a week just kills me. You know, it doesn't bother me going on on a week to week basis because you know you can get out of there you know fairly reasonably. But, you know, if you've missed two weeks or, God forbid, three weeks, it's like you start dodging your comic shop guy. <laughs> I know. I feel it's bad. Like, it's like, I go it's in. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like your bookie, you know? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I notice when I when I miss a week, I usually have to hit, like, three or four comic shops just to find all the stuff that I needed in those two weeks. Now, yeah, that's something that's always I, I thought was kind of interesting about you, Paul, is that, you know, you're... You would describe yourself as a pretty hardcore comic book geek, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I would say that. Okay, I, I, and, and the, I would characterize you as such because you know, ever since I've known you, you've you know always been current on your comic books, and you know, hey, you run a blog about you know comics and other geekery, so I, I think you qualify as a comic book geek. But but you don't have a pull list. I don't. Uh, my pull list was invented by my comic shop guy. Uh, just because he he wanted to start pulling aside some titles for me, but I find out of the ten titles that he may pull for me, I put about nine of them back on the shelf and just cruise the shelf for everything else I want. You know, I I used to have a, a guy, I had a pull list, but he would also add in things that he thought I might like. And I I had this problem where I just I felt like I couldn't put it back. <laughs> it's like, I like I couldn't say, you know, uh, you, uh, you you thought wrongly. I, I'm not interested in this. You know, you obviously okay. don't know me very well. <laughs> well, and he'd normally do pretty good, but I remember it was back in the '90s, and they were doing all of that, uh, uh, you know, promotional stuff. I remember it was, an, it was a, a copy of the Fantastic Four with a tape cassette in it, you know, back when we used to listen to tape cassettes. And uh, uh, it was some band that I'd never heard of, but, you know, it was the collector's edition, you know, back when we were doing all of the, you know, hollow foil covers and whatnot. And I just, I, I, I felt bad about it. I, I couldn't put it back. I, I bought it. I got peer pressured into buying. That's what happened. Weak-willed, I was peer pressured into buying, you know, this poly bag book. You know, that's not too horrible, because back in the early to mid-90s, my father used to own a computer store that was next door to a comic book store. And the guy who owned the comic shop, I don't know, he had a deal with my dad, free software for discounts or free comic books. And he would literally pull one of every comic released that week. And so, my, you know, instead of coming home with a bag, my dad would come home with one of those diamond comic book boxes. Oh, man. And 90% of that stuff I had no interest in. This is around the time where, um, you know, all these 
little like Malibu comics and yeah. you know, yeah. really starting up and uh, Warriors of Plasm. Oh yeah, I see, and I, I loved Warriors of Plasm. The Defiant books were were some of my favorite back then. Yeah, and you know, trying to think of the the Solar Man of the Atom. I mean, you know, yeah, so yeah. I, I would I would get into a lot of new stuff around the time, but at yeah. the same yeah. time, there was so much stuff that I just wasn't interested in. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, when yeah. you get one of everything that a comic shop orders. Oh yeah, well, there's so much crap out there. I mean, there's there's all kinds of good stuff, but there's also a whole lot of crap. Oh yeah, I mean, I, and and a whole lot of stuff that never goes beyond like its second issue. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, lots of you know. Cut off in the middle of the storyline books just because no one bought I used to have a buddy back in grade school whose dad, I guess, you know, is a magazine distributor or something, you know. And what they would do for the comic books that didn't sell, they'd rip off the covers, you know, and send them back. I guess they'd get a credit back for them. But he'd have all these comic books without the covers. And so I got to read a lot of stuff that I would never would have bought, like some old horror comics and uh, a lot of war comics and those kinds of things, like Sergeant Rock, etc., uh, that I never would have bought. But, you know, here I got this comic that was worthless. You know, it had the, the cover off of it, but the story was still good. I think I've still got a couple of those in my long boxes just, you know, for sentimental value. It was always a, kind of an interesting way to, to uh, you know, find books. You know, now, I'm just, now I just bargain bin dive all the time. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. a comic doesn't have a cover now, it's just distracting. Oh, it well, it is hard. I mean, it's it's not the 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 most desired way to read a comic book, but it was a, a nice way, particularly like when I was getting an allowance of three dollars a week, <laughs> you know, to to experience some different comics. Of course, you know, comics were thirty cents a, a piece at the time, as opposed to two ninety nine at the minimum or three ninety nine now. What the hell? That three ninety nine is outrageous. It, it, it is, and you know, not all the time do they have that backup feature that makes it worth it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of three ninety nine comics, uh, that's what you paid for this week's uh, Captain America Reborn. Yes, we did. That's a that's a, a a chunky little book with you know written by Ed Brubaker, who I think everyone will agree is a pretty fantastic Captain America writer, and by also illustrated by fan fra- favorite uh, Brian Hitch. What'd you think of it? You know, I didn't think all that much of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I hate to say that because I was looking forward to the book, and I've been out of the loop on the Brew Baker Cap series for a couple months now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, I picked this up, and it appears not much has really changed since the last time I've read Captain America as a monthly, anyway. Right. So right. you know, I was able to pick up the story pretty quickly. Because uh, it really does just feel like another issue of Captain America, just drawn by Brian Hitch instead of some of the usual artists. Right. But I just didn't think too much of it, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, I, I was kind of the same, kind of the same way. It didn't spark for me. Um, I thought I think that the current books in the Captain America books are fantastic. I mean, I really do. I think I. I now, I, I will say, I read all the way up through uh, Captain America being shot. Um, I read through the, you know, the funeral stories and all that kind of stuff, and right up to where Bucky you know, becomes Captain America. And I stopped reading there because I figured I'd pick it up and trade. And I just didn't want to you know, buy the, the floppy and then also have the trade later on. But what I had a, pro- I had a couple of problems. I had a problem with the story, and I had a problem with the artwork. And I, I, the artwork... I think is fine. I don't think it's up to Hitch's 
usual awesomeness. But what I had a real problem with is that he draws it all so similarly to the way he drew the Ultimates. Yeah. And I ke- and I kept having a problem thinking, what universe am I in? You know, in fact, he, the the scenes where you know Cap is is on the beaches of Normandy, he looks almost exactly like he does in the Ultimates. And I kept going, now, now this is regular Marvel U. This isn't Ultimate U, right? And I, so I, I really did have that kind of problem finding the reality of, of the book, if that makes any sense. You know, it does yeah. actually, you know, I, I kind of agree on that point. You know, having Brian Hitch, he's a great artist and all. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I felt he was kind of misplaced on the Fantastic Four run that he did uh, recently, but on this book, it just it it kind of took me out of it because it, I'm so used to seeing his Ultimates artwork um, yeah. that working in you know the regular Marvel universe just it just didn't feel right uh, the entire time. I'm thinking, you know, I might have liked this book more if it was drawn by Steve McNiven. What would be not, not to like? To like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. if Steve McNiven drew the book, I mean, hell. Other than the delays, but then again, you know, yeah, Brian Hitch, I'm sure we're looking at delays on this one too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I really would have preferred someone like Steve McNiven, and I know he's busy with the the old man Logan storyline. That uh, how long has it been delayed? <laughs> um, you know, I think they we're getting it in the, the we're getting the finale in the next couple of months, but you know, we'll I, see. I, that annoys me. I should have waited for the trade on that one. Yeah, I don't normally read Wolverine, but I, I'm such a fan of, of McNiven's work. I, I picked up the floppies. And the fact that they've transitioned to another storyline and we're left hanging for that forever uh, just annoys the living P. Wadden out of me. Yeah, and you know, when DC, you know, I'm going to compare this to DC's Rebirth books because reborn rebirth it kind of begs for a comparison sure sure you know when when green lantern rebirth came out there was no green lantern monthly at running simultaneously you know it was literally bringing back green lantern to the dc universe you know when the flash rebirth started you know they they ended the flash monthly first uh i'm not a big fan of the flash rebirth just yet but you know i mean it's still a separate miniseries you don't have a miniseries and the monthly series. Whereas right. this really kind of... They didn't stop the Captain America monthly. And again, I'm not reading it right now, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, the Bucky Cap is in this pretty prevalently, you know, and it's written by the same writer. Why didn't they just incorporate it into the series or stop Cap for six months to publish Reborn? Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm I'm a stickler on that kind of stuff. You know, even DC stopped Detective Comics and Batman while Battle for the Cow was running. It it just kind of seems like they should have done something like that, incorporated into the storyline instead of trying to figure out where it fits in. And, you know, next month, Steve Rogers is cap, you know, well, in six months, he will be. You know, I had said that uh, one of the things that, that bugged me about the book was, you know, the artwork, but that also part of the story. And you know, you knew when Cap, when Steve Rogers, Captain America, was killed, you knew that at some point they'd bring him back. I mean, you just have to. Captain America is Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is Captain America. So you knew he was coming back at some point. So you you assume and you expect that the way they're going to bring him back is going to be artful, because if you know you're going to bring him back, you build it in and you make it artful. And the way they're bringing him back just irritates me to death. Because it, they're using time travel to do it. And I'm like, that's just stupid. <laughs> you know, it's almost taking um, 
I'm going to flake out here. The blue guy from Watchmen. Uh, yeah, Dr. Uh, Manhattan. Manhattan. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan. You know, the the last bit of this book felt like the Dr. Manhattan scene in Watchmen where he's he's kind of at all points in time at once. Right. So, you know, Steve Rogers is lost in time. You know, how are they going to pull him from the time stream? Will he do something different? Are you suggesting that we're going to be seeing uh, Steve Rogers, red, white, and blue junk? You know, he's going to be walking around, uh, you know, just all out there for us. There you go. Yeah, something like that. Well, I think think that that we are both agreed that we didn't care care for this book. book. I didn't hate it, but I expected more of it. I really did. Yeah, Yeah. I did too. too. So are you going to buy the next issue? issue? I will give it another issue, but seeing as how I was able to drop Cap monthly from my pull list, my non-existent pull list, I don't think I'd have a problem dropping this one if issue two doesn't agree with me more. See, you know, this is a a five-issue series... I'm four bucks in at three ninety nine an issue, and I'm asking myself now: Do I want to spend the other, you know, uh, what is that? Another, you know, sixteen bucks? Did you hear me do math in my head? By the way, yeah, it, my computer kind of started blinking <laughs> on the frame. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but you know, do I want to be in for another sixteen bucks on this? And I'm not sure that I do. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to wait on that one and just kind of live with it for a little bit before I decide whether or not I pull that one next time. Yeah, at, at no point in reading this first issue do, do I really get the impression that this is really going to be one of those essential reads you yeah. know, somewhere down the line. Yeah, and, and in terms of a hero coming back you know, after having been killed off, this isn't Superman Returns. No. This isn't you know, Bruce Wayne coming back you know, after you know, he gets his back broken from Bane. You know, it's, it's none of these things. It just... It, it strikes me as bizarre, and I, I'll, I'll wrap up my comments on this uh, by saying that it strikes me as bizarre that Marvel did such a fantastic job planning the death of Steve Rogers and executing that, you know, no pun intended, but, are, but in this one book has done such a poor job bringing him back. And I just would have thought that, that Marvel would have, you know, applied the, the same talent and, and art uh, – to bring him back as they did and kill him. And I actually thought that he'd be gone longer. Yeah, you know, that, that I guess that'll be my, my final note on it. I like the Bucky cap. I was getting used to the Bucky cap. I, I, I think he should have stuck around, you know, maybe another year at least. It, it seemed yeah, a little yeah. soon. Yeah, I agree. Well, and on the subject of absent heroes, I guess we can talk about Batman and Robin number two. <laughs> absent heroes. You're going to have to explain that one to me. Well, you know, Bruce Wayne's gone, and uh, so we have somebody filling in as Dick Grayson under the under the, the the cape and cowl. But of course, you know, Batman and Robin's a buddy book. It's a team book. It's you know, Batman as uh, portrayed by uh, Dick Grayson, and then Robin is no longer Tim Drake, but rather uh, Damian, Bruce Wayne's bastard child. Yeah, and see here, I thought you were talking about the lack of heroism in the leads because I don't really get, you know, a big hero vibe out of. And I don't either. I don't either. Um, I I picked up issue two after really disliking issue one for a number of reasons, and I am not a Grant Morrison fan by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I I was rather clear on my disdain. For Final Crisis, which he uh, authored, and I just thought it was uh, it was some, some of the worst comics I've ever read in my life. Um, 
particularly when, when so much energy and resources were, were placed into those books. And boy, how awful were they. And here you've got Grant Morrison, who I think I think he's a hit and miss kind of guy. I think he does do some good things. I think that, that lately he has done a lot uh a lot of bad things, uh, things that, that he should be ashamed of, actually. And you've got him paired up with Frank Quietly, whose artwork I, re- I usually enjoy, but I think that it is so misplaced for this book. I, I, it just doesn't seem to work for me. You know, I absolutely agree. And that was um, in my review for issue one of Batman and Robin. Quietly's art just doesn't seem suited to a normal monthly superhero book. It seems... It really feels to me like miniseries art, um, you know. But as far as a, a series that takes place in the DCU proper, it just doesn't feel right. And especially his grasp of some of the hand-to-hand combat that was in the issue yeah. really took me out of the story. It was very distracting, and he seems to be going for a little bit of a different style with this book, and it's it's not working for me. I understand you can't draw Superman and Batman the same way. But, you know, the scratchiness of the art takes away from it, I think. There's a quality to his to his pencils that just really doesn't apply well to Batman. And, you know, I, part of me thinks that, that he has intended to make Dick Grayson look awkward in the Batman suit. I, I think that it was artistically intended. I don't think that's just that he can't draw. But there are other things, you know, if that's the case, if, if Batman's supposed to look awkward, then the people around him who are, uh, you know, used to being in their own skin, as it were, uh, should, should not look awkward. And, you know, the, the folks around him do. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't care for for the for the for the artistry of the book. I certainly don't care for the writing of it because. And you and I have chatted about this earlier that Dick Grayson doesn't sound like Dick Grayson to me. Not at all. This issue shows Dick Grayson's kind of struggling a little bit with it, and I feel it's kind of a couple of months too late. You know, last issue he was fine with it, and now he's struggling with it. Now we're getting some more of the introspective pieces, and at this point. We've seen him accept the role about three times. I know it's not going to be, it's not supposed to be an easy transition, but it just feels, it feels a little bit out of place after the first issue. Right. Where he was just so comfortable in the role of Batman, and now, now he's having qualms about it, and now he's having qualms about Damien as a partner who's still harping on the same, the same stuff. You know, we're not seeing any growth in that character since he was introduced. How long ago was he introduced? You follow the the bat lines better than I do. Let's see. He was part... I wouldn't say he was... uh, About the one year later. So right after Infinite Crisis. Okay. So it's been a while. Yeah, it has been quite a while. And there's literally no growth in his character since then. He's still angry. I mean, he's not murderous towards Tim Drake, but if you've read Red Robin number one, you can see they're not friends. You know, there literally has been no growth in his character. He's just wearing the Robin suit. But... (laughs) <laughs> it just seems that he's wearing the Robin suit because that's what they gave him and, you know, he's only 10 years old. You know, he hasn't accepted his role yet. And I think at this point he kind of needs to have grown up a little bit. Now, Batman and Robin's supposed to be an ongoing. It's not a limited series, correct? It is an ongoing, but I think Quietly's art stops at number three. Um, I don't know if he's... I know they have a guest artist for issue four. Um, I don't remember who it is off the top of my head, but I don't know if he's going to come back with issue five or if he's done with the series at that point. Um, you know, they just wanted to bring him in to 
to have that star power. I love his artwork. I just don't care for it in this. Yeah, you know, I can be up and down on it. You know, I, I think I'm one of the few people who didn't like All-Star Superman. Um, you know, but I have seen art of his that I do like. I do generally like his style. Like you said, I just, I'm not sure I dig it in this storyline. And maybe it's more of a fault of the storyline as well, in that I the storyline's just not connecting with me. Yeah. But, you know, there are some... Uh... Again, the sto- I agree with you. The storyline's not con- connecting with me either, though there are elements that I, I think they're headed the right direction. You know, I like the uh, corrections that Alfred is providing to Dick, but I don't think they're strong enough. I think they, they need to be fleshed out more. But, you know, one of the things I notice about this book is that even the nighttime scenes are brighter than uh, you would typically have in a Batman book. And I think that's also an intentional artistic perspective to show that, you know, Dick Grayson isn't as dark as Bruce. You know, that he he's a, he's a brighter, generally happier Batman. Yeah, you know, I think what would have helped me accept Dick Grayson as Batman, you know, and I wouldn't say this is... This isn't the sole title that he's starring in. Some of the other titles are doing a better job of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just... He's too similar to Bruce Wayne's Batman. You know, uh, I read a preview this morning of Judd Winnick's upcoming Batman run, and he makes, yeah, and he makes a good point of showing how different Dick Grayson is from Bruce Wayne. And but I'm not seeing that so much in this, as far as when he's in the Bat costume. When he's in the Bat costume, you know, they say he's different, but he doesn't feel different to me. You know. Well, and and that's that's the thing I was going to say is that you know the the writing is such that Dick Grayson will comment, you know, I don't feel like Batman. I you know I tried for the first thing I did when I became Nightwing is I got rid of the cape, you know, the cape isn't me, and you know so they do this job of telling you what he's thinking, but they're not showing you. They're not showing you, you know, how different he is. It's a character telling you how different he is. Exactly. You know, I think what I would have liked. And I know there's the big difference right now is the belt. That seems to be the only thing that's changed with the Dick Grayson Batman costume. I really would have liked the costume change. Um, you know, it, there's always detractors, you know, when Captain America changed his costume, you know, with the Bucky costume with the robotic arms and all that. Um, but, you know, I would have liked to have seen maybe a return of the, the yellow symbol on the chest. Something to differentiate him. You know, the costume is literally the same. You know, Nightwing, yeah. like you said... He spent all this time getting rid of the cape. He says he did, anyway. So, why not a Batman without a cape? You know, Batman's changed his costumes many times. I I think it would be okay to change his costume this time. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, are you picking up issue three? I'm going to pick up issue three. Um, Despite my misgivings about it, the, the premise has me interested enough to see where it's going. I, and I've picked up all the Batman Reborn titles thus far, so I'm going to give it another month. Uh, you know, I, I hate to think that I would not pick up a Batman title. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, not one of the main Batman titles. Yeah. But if it's just not connecting with me, I've still got Batman, and I've still got Detective Comics, which we'll talk about later, that I think are both great. Well, uh, I think I'm picking up number three, and... I think I'll pick up number three. I, that's all I'm going to say right now. <laughs> Just because it's two ninety nine, it's not a three ninety nine book. I, I really, I'm a lot harsher with my three ninety nine books 
than I am the 299s. So I'll pick up issue three and, and make my decision from there. I would prefer another writer on it because I'm just really off of Grant Morrison. Yeah. But I'll tell you a writer who I'm really wild about, and I'm just as excited as can be that he's writing Justice League, and that's uh, James Robinson. I loved his old Starman stuff, and he is writing the uh, miniseries right now, Justice League Cry for Justice, which came out this week. Absolutely, after a long delay, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, the, it was uh, mentioned in continuity. I want to say two, three months ago, uh, where you know, in, when Black Canary started getting angry with everybody leaving her Justice League and referencing this book. So yeah, it's been delayed for a little bit. Well, well, Cry for Justice is, uh, like I said, a mini series. It's seven issues. Um, bringing together a number of heroes. We don't see all of them just yet in this issue, but we do see the alien Starman. We see Kong Gorilla, which cracks me up. I mean, any comic that's got talking monkeys in it, I am all over that. So we've got Kong Gorilla, we've got Starman, we've got Green Arrow, we've got Green Lantern, we have Ray Palmer, the original Adam, we have uh, Supergirl will be in the book, Captain Marvel Jr. will be in the book. Batwoman, I think, is going to be in the book at some point. So uh, we've got a whole bunch of folks. The book ha- is, is a very painted sort of illustration in it, done by Mauro Cascioli. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But the, the artwork is just really quite stunning, I think. And I really enjoyed how, they, how they're kind of developing the storyline. It was there's this wonderful bit in the first part where Hal Jordan is just essentially calling everybody out in the Justice League and saying, you know, you guys are all big on your leagues, your societies, your superhero communities, but what what the hell happened to justice? You know, we've got these guys out there. We've got Libra out there who is responsible for killing the Martian Manhunter. You know, we lock these guys up. They get back out. You know, let's go out there and bust some heads. Let's actually you know, bring in all these bad guys that were involved in Final Crisis and uh, shut this stuff down because, you know, Green Lantern finally has remembered what it is he does, that he's a cop and he's in charge of this entire sector, not just uh, uh, planet Earth. So I, I think it was a really strong book. Um, I think it was interesting that it's after Batman is, is presumably killed that uh, Hal comes out of his shell like this. Because I think Batman would have had some things to say about how stern Green Lantern was in this book. Because, you know, Batman has often been not trusting of Hal Jordan since, you know, Hal Jordan's problems with parallax and whatnot. So I think it's a strong start. I, I, I'm a fan of, of the way Robinson works his dialogue. I really like how he's. Uh, pacing the book there's a really nice uh, write-up kind of the making of the book in the back of it it is a 399 book that i have no qualms about buying again it was 399 well spent there you go in your face paul ah dang what can i say after that um (laughs) i didn't like it as much as you did i really didn't you know i i will say the strong part of it was the art and i did like the backup feature you know the director's cut the making of uh, piece of it. So as far as the three ninety nine price point, no qualms about it on this one. But I will say I, I wasn't a big fan of the story. Uh, I thought I did like the Green Lantern piece of it. I, I felt that if Batman had survived, Green Lantern is doing in this book is probably what Batman would have done character wise. I think he probably would have started up his own Justice League. I think mean, he kind of has with the Outsiders. 
Um, and I think this is almost like outsiders with bigger name talent. Now, I will say, I just the story just didn't connect with me. It, it you know, the the beginning piece. It's basically for those who haven't read the book, it's split up into about three or four parts. There's the Green Arrow, Green Lantern, basically quitting the Justice League and forming their own piece. Then there's a bit of a you know, ad you know talking about uh, a piece talking about the Adam and Mike Choi, the new Adam. So you've got both Adams working together. And just their determination for justice. Uh, you've got the alien Starman and his quest for justice, and of course Congorilla and why he's out for justice. And I'm assuming, you know, we're going to get next issue the other pieces of the Justice League and why they're pulling into it. And I'm sure all the stories, all eight storylines, probably have the same ultimate villain now, or you know, in Justice League. As you will, uh, looking at the cover, it looks like they've got a couple of really big-name villains. You've got Bizarro, Poison Ivy, um, Mr. Freeze, or Captain Cold, whoever. Uh, But either way, I just... I I, I thought not enough happened in the first issue. Uh, After I closed the first issue, I said, okay, that's half of the team. I guess issue two will be the other half of the team, and then we'll finally start the story in issue three. I, you know, I can... And I can forgive the kind of continuity of it in that it starts three months, you know, technically three months ago they were referencing this miniseries and now it's starting. But I think it's going to be a little distracting uh, if there are any delays with this in that Green Lantern, top character of the book, and he's going to be dealing with Blackest Night in his own book around, you know, concurrent with this storyline, which, you know, he's front and center and has nothing to do with Blackest Night. I almost would have preferred this in the Justice League book, just because Justice League kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the monthly I, title is pretty bad. And I will say, I'm, I'm a little... That's one of the things I don't quite get, because I, the current storyline in Justice League is not compelling. Um, there's doesn't seem to be a whole lot going on there. I, I, I don't really see the need for two Justice League books when one is so weak. So why not have had this as part of that Justice League run? Yeah, and originally well, I have this two books at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And you know, this was originally announced as a monthly, as an ongoing yeah, monthly yeah. series. And I, I would not have really been kind on this issue had they had this been the first start of an ongoing monthly series when you've got a bad Justice League title and a good Justice League title or a better Justice League title. Why not just have one? Um, you know, Justice League is missing all its heavy hitters anyway, and really, since Brad Melcher left the title, so has my interest with it. I picked it up during the Dwayne McDuffie arc. I know he yeah. got fired. I know he was fired because of his outspokenness towards the editorial um, at DC, but I would have fired him long ago for the bad storyline, honestly. I, yeah, I thought it was, I, you know, I was, I was expecting so much so more from McDuffie. From McDuffie. Uh, uh, I, was I was very, very excited, excited about the milestone, milestone characters coming, coming in, and, and I, just I just wasn't, wasn't jazzed, jazzed by how that by how that, that happened. I mean, the storyline with them was not interesting. interesting. Yeah. And, that, and and you know, and when, you when you when come, you come in, in wanting, wanting to, like to like something so much and being, and being open, open to that, that and, then, and then you know, you know there's just really nothing positive there to see. You know, it's really a big letdown. I just was not impressed at all by by his stories. And we're talking about a guy who wrote for Justice League Unlimited and the Justice League Animated Series. So, yeah. you know, he was 
he was given a half hour. You know, most of those episodes were self-contained. So he was given a half hour, or at most, you know, a two-part episode, an hour, to come up with a story, you know, a one-shot story. And, you know, he didn't have a lot of the heavy hitters in that series either. You know, he had to deal with, you know, sometimes he wouldn't have all the heavy hitters, or any of the heavy hitters. He would focus on some of the secondary characters. And there was very few episodes, there were very few episodes of Justice League Unlimited that I felt were poorly written and uninteresting. But, you know, it seems like 12 issues of his storyline were the same story, and regardless of if he had the heavy hitters available to him or not, it just seems that he dragged out an uninteresting storyline, and it just, it didn't seem like what I was expecting of him. I really expected so much more, Uh, you know, and so I know they're still struggling to maybe find a regular team on that book. It seems like now would be the perfect time to have incorporated this in to that storyline. Well, I saw, I don't know if you read all of writer's commentary at the back of the book, but James Robinson is going over to the regular Justice League uh, title. Yes, that's right. It's James Robinson and Mark Bagley, which is a good team. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited yeah. about that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. I, I'm a big fan of Robinson. Like I said, I, I, I have uh, an abiding love for his Starman books. They were just outstanding. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with Justice League. So you didn't like Justice League as much as I did. I did not. I really did not. Um, will I buy the second issue? <sighs> you know what's sad? I gave more negative reviews to the first two uh, comics that we spoke about today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah. I would probably not pick up the second issue of this title. Seriously? Seriously. It, it, it just I'm just not interested. If, it, if I hear it gets better... I know it's a seven-issue series. I'll pick up the trade. You know, uh, I just, I don't know if I'm interested enough to pick it up on a monthly basis. I'm not interested, you know, there wasn't enough of a cliffhanger to keep me coming back next month. Wow. I know. You know, I, you know what I think this describes in you is a, is really a fundamental character flaw. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that was all the books you and I, uh, that each of us read overlap. So what's something that you read that I didn't read? You know, and I think that's. One thing that we may have over other podcasts is that you and I seem to have different tastes in books. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm more of a DC guy. I've got a couple of Marvel titles in here, and I love a lot of independence. And, you know, you're a big Marvel guy, and, you know, you yeah. love a couple of, you know, DC books. So I think we're going to have a lot. We're going to have a lot to talk about, really. Uh, yeah. Especially, you know, <laughs> looking at my stack of comics that I picked up yesterday from two different comic stores. I think it's great that you're up there helping out the local Virginia economy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hit every comic shop. I, I feel bad about this, and I know we're getting off topic. I cannot walk into a comic shop without buying a comic book. Okay. I need to buy a comic book. And sometimes it's so hard. Some comic stores just make it so hard to find something to buy. But I, oh, yeah. I, I have to leave. I have to get something. Yeah. But back on subject, I do have a couple of books that I've read this week um, and last week that I just wanted to kind of bring attention to. There's the new Deadpool series, which I guess at this point makes three concurrent Deadpool series. I'm I'm wondering why there's so many series starring Deadpool. Uh, I don't know why this couldn't have been wrapped up in the existing Deadpool series. Uh, I know there's another miniseries out right now. Might as well ask why there are so many Wolverine series. Yeah, but I, I, Deadpool's, I guess they're trying to make Deadpool the new Wolverine and trying to get the hype up, you know, especially since the new movie was announced. Right. Um, but the new Deadpool series is called Deadpool Merc with a Mouth, which is kind of an odd title for a 
monthly series, but I guess, you know, that is his description. It's not like the amazing Spider-Man or, you know, the amazing Deadpool probably wouldn't have worked. Um, You know, the new series starts with Deadpool being hired to get some type of biological uh, contamination that's been in the Savage Land. So, of course, you know, he meets up with Kazar, and there's dinosaurs and cavemen. And um, ultimately what it ends up being, and, you know, they try to make a surprise. The issue is written, trying to make a surprise out of it, but it's on the cover. And if you've read anything about the series, you know that it's Deadpool and the biological thing that he's picking up is the head of zombie Deadpool from Marvel Zombies. Oh, cool. So it's kind of a team-up book with Deadpool and Deadpool. I will say I'll give it one more issue based on what I'm reading on this issue. Not because I was overly impressed, but just because I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. But one thing that's kind of hard for me is talkative characters really border between funny and just absolutely miserably annoying yeah and this really kind of ends up more on the annoying side of things so uh you know i I like deadpool as a character i'm not seeing in this the type of deadpool story that i like to read it's not quite as fun it tries to be fun but it's just not as fun it feels a little forced to me i'll give it another issue and see where it goes just because you know it's got zombies and I guess I'm a sucker for zombies, but... Uh, you know, who doesn't love zombies? Exactly. Marvel loves zombies. <laughs> well, zombies have been very good for Marvel. And speaking of zombies, you've got the ultimate zombie. Um, not Jesus. You've got Jason. <laughs> okay, thank you for the distinction there. Yeah, the you know, I didn't want yeah. people to think, you know, that we were talking about Jesus. Because <laughs> uh, Freddy versus Jesus versus Ash might not have... Well, I don't know. I would have picked it up. But uh, Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, uh, The Nightmare Warriors, is the sequel to the original miniseries that started off strong and kind of petered out at the ending. Uh, I hope this one doesn't do the same, because it does have a strong beginning. Um, it's If you're a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you'll find a lot to like in this, because the surviving characters of all those original movies kind of team up to fight against Freddy and Jason. And of course you've got Ash, um, who, I don't know, maybe I will get a lashing for this. I think he's the weak point of the book. Oh! I know. I know. Below the belt there. But I just, I'm not a big fan of Ash in comic books. Uh, It just, it always feels like, let's take all of Ash's greatest lines, plug them in a book, try to come up with some new ones that are nowhere near as good, and it just ends up being annoying. Um, really, his storyline seems to be the weakest. But, again, first issue, I will definitely give it the second issue. I'll probably see, see it out all the way to, th- to the end. Um, just because I, I like the premise of it, and I'm a big horror guy. Uh, just a couple more shout-outs. There's Berserker Number 0, which I think might actually be a last week book. Um, it's got a two ninety nine price point, which is a little high for a half a comic, essentially. Uh, you pick it up and it feels lighter than another than other comic books, so I don't, I'm not even sure it's 32 pages uh, to begin with, and that's with half of the book being um, an interview with the creators and promos of upcoming Top Cow material. Uh, but Berserker number zero is from Milo Ventimiglia from Heroes and uh, the upcoming movie Gamer. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of his. 
And yeah. uh, it's got a Dale Keown cover. I don't know if I pronounced his last name right. I think you did. I think you got it right. But it's very striking. Uh, but, you know, it, it's an interesting premise. Um, it it seems like it'll have something to do with Vikings. There have been hints towards some type of Viking relation to the storyline. Um, you know, but right now it's just, you know, you've got an Iraqi war veteran, a young guy who's under hypnosis, remembering how he was released from a POW situation. And... Um, it seems to involve basically a berserker rage where he is invincible and, but kind of not of his right mind. He'll literally tear up bodies of anyone who's in front of him, regardless of their friend or foe. So, it, you know, it's an interesting premise. Uh, I, I'd like to see where it goes. This is a zero issue. It's a good place to start on, I think. And, uh, you know, see where the series goes from there. Uh, and then well, I, uh, I was, uh, one of the books I, I have been very uh, critical of, the Final Crisis books uh, by Grant Morrison, but some of the other books around it were actually really good, you know, some of the supporting books for Final Crisis. And one of the the aftermath books I'm reading is Run by Matt Sturgis. And it tells the story of the human flame who is involved in the execution of the Martian Manhunter back in the Final Crisis books. And it's really – it's essentially him running from everybody because everybody in the world is out to get him. The bad guys are out to get him because they got him hooked up in uh, Libra's organization. He uh, is being you know, hunted by uh, all the superheroes because you know, they're ready to give him some payback. So, and he's always been kind of a B-level bad guy. And he's got all of these high-level folks that are out after him. And it's, a, it's really a very interesting look inside the henchmen – uh, of the DC universe, you know, because there's a bunch of you know henchmen and you know kind of you know B-level uh, supervillains involved, and I, I I really have rather enjoyed it. So uh, it's got some beautiful artwork uh, by Freddie Williams the second, and the big thumbs up uh, to Matt Sturgis and Freddie Williams on that. Hmm. So it's more of a almost like a rogues book. It sounds like. Yeah, it really. I mean, the, you know, the the central character is certainly a bad guy. The good guys only make cameo appearances into it. Some of the the you know uh, villains in here are just ridiculous and how stupid they are. You know, and you know, and, and it's kind of shows how the reason why they're so malleable and will go to work for somebody like the Penguin. You know, so I'm 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 really enjoying it. It's a it's a limited series. This was issue three of six, and I'm really getting a kick out of it. You know what's funny is I think out of everything we've spoken about today, very few of what we've talked about are actually ongoing series. Um, You know, most of the stuff that we've spoken about today are mini series, and in fact, I picked up a lot of mini series. You know, a lot of first issues of things that just really looked interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Including the the new Mike Mignola book, Sir Edward Grey Witchfinder, uh-huh. which is a, a Victorian era occult detective. I didn't even know that was out. Yeah, it just came <laughs> out. You know, it, I would have gotten that. I, I like Mike Mignola. I do, I do. You know, it's uh, and it's a it's a great book if you're into the Hellboy storyline. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the feel of a Hellboy book. You know, it's kind of got that feel, but it's also Victorian era. It takes place, I think, in 1878. Uh, so it kind of, it's Hellboy-ish, but not. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. You know, I think it's a great book. I, I like ideas like this. I like storylines like this. And another thing I may take a lashing for is I'm 
totally more interested in all of the side characters in Hellboy than I am in Hellboy himself. Um, right. You know, the Lobster Johnson, love that miniseries. Yeah. You know, the yeah. BPRD stuff, love that. You know, and I think Witchfinder is going to be a great series. I really think it's going to, you know, I think it's going to be a good one to read. Uh, it, issue one of five came out this week. Sweet. I'm going to have to run back to the shop today and see if I can get a hold of that because I, I didn't even notice that that was out. That's kind of the downside of not picking up previews, you know, the the, the big uh, catalog, which I haven't done in years. And so sometimes uh, the new stuff, you know, slides by me, you know, which is the whole reason to have a blog so that I can pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> Well, uh, along the lines of horror, um, I recently started picking up Captain Britain and uh, MI13, uh, which you know tells the story of you know some some British superheroes. And I picked it up when they started their vampire uh, storyline. And the gist of it is that Dracula himself has uh, you know reared his head again and is looking to invade England. And you say invade England from where Transylvania? No the moon and that sounds ridiculous (laughs) but i gotta tell you so far it has really been a very enjoyable read um i I, if you enjoy vampires if you enjoy uh some british sensibilities uh certainly pick this book up and the artwork is awfully appealing um i I just really like it and I'm, i'm a fan of dracula from back in the uh Tomb of Dracula books that Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan did, so they're portraying him very much as he was portrayed in those books. So uh, it's a it's a nice sort of homage uh, to the character that was developed in those books. So also, I highly recommend Captain Britain and MI13. So good time to pick it up right before it gets canceled. Oh, it hasn't been canceled. See again, I don't pay attention to anything. Look at me. I'm sorry. I, I bring on the bearer <laughs> of bad news. Yeah, what's what up with you? you? I know. I know. Well, wow, that's, that's too bad. bad. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, it's got a following. I'm sure, you know, if Marvel, if the backup feature thing in DC is successful, I see Marvel probably picking it up eventually. And, you know, I, I don't think it would be so bad that Captain Britain would become a backup feature in another book. Yeah. Um, just to see the storyline continue. Now, what's good about it is it sounds like uh, the writer of the series knew this was coming. So yeah. he's, he seems like he'll still have time to wrap up the storylines that he wanted to wrap up. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good, good news. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we're still talking about horror because I'm going to talk about Escape from Wonderland. Oh, um, okay. From Xenoscope, written by, you know, friend of IOM, uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph, Raven Gregory. <laughs> he, he often goes by Ralph, though. He's Ralph to his friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People like us. We call him that's Ralph. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, you know... This is the third part of the Wonderland trilogy. If you haven't been following it, you should probably start at the beginning because you're not really given a lot of time to catch up. Um, Basically, at the end of the last series, for anyone who hasn't read it, I'm going to ruin it. Um, The lead character, who's the daughter of Alice in Wonderland, um, her baby has been stolen by the Mad Hatter and taken into Wonderland. And she is basically venturing into Wonderland to save her baby and kill everybody. Um, not a book for the entire family, very adult. Uh, you know, it's got some of the cheesecake aspects that you can see on the cover, you know, the half-naked women, that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I think it's a really well-written title. It's a good horror title, and I'm always a big fan of children's stories kind of made dark and scary. And I think out of every Wonderland-type book that I've read, this has done a better job of it instead of just feeling like, 
you know, sorted fan fiction. Um, so that's kind of the last miniseries I started this week. But, you know, I, I recommend it. Um, if you haven't picked up the series, any of the series, I really recommend starting at the top with Return to Wonderland, um, which is out in hardcover and I think in softcover, and you can get it at the Xenoscope official site. Excellent. Is that your, your big, big pick, pick for the, for the week? week? It is not, actually. Uh-oh, there's something even better than that? There is something even better than that. Wow. Um, and it's kind of a cheat, because I not only have two big picks of the week, I have one that's a reprint. Well, I wouldn't say a reprint. Uh, my first big pick of the week is Unwritten, number one, which came out about a month ago, but the second printing came out this week, so I was finally able to get it. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Unwritten, it's basically about a Harry Potter-type character called Tommy Taylor, except that Tommy Taylor is based on a real-life child, uh, Tom Taylor. And so Tom Taylor, the real guy, has kind of become a celebrity because of these books, but it seems like the books are kind of invading reality, and in addition to that, it sounds like Tom Taylor, everything that he knows about his past may not be true. Um, I think I see where the storyline is going, but it's written by Brian K. Vaughn, who is a, an excellent writer and I think will surprise me. Uh, I don't think it may be as obvious as it seems at first. Um, it's a great book. The number one issue was $1 when it first came out. Even the reprint is $1.99. There is more story in this first issue than is in typically six issues of other normal comic books. Um, it really feels like a six-issue miniseries wrapped into one. A lot of stuff happens, and it still feels self-contained, but with a good cliffhanger ending. I highly recommend uh, Unwritten Number 1 from Vertigo, uh, DC. Wow. And my other big pick... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You got two big picks? Yeah, I cheated. I did cheat, you know? <laughs> I, I had to only because... I haven't picked up Savage Dragon in a long, long time. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I always pick up, basically, I pick up an issue of Savage Dragon every 50 issues, or every 25 issues, because it's usually a big honking issue. Um, Savage Dragon issue 150 came out this week. Uh, it's 100 pages and six bucks. So 100 wow. pages for six bucks. Uh, it's a big darn book. It is. And you know, about half of it is reprints. Um, there's a reprint of the origin of the original Daredevil character. Um, you know, the one in the, the red and blue costume. Um, yeah. You know, it's got a reprint of his origin. It's got a reprint of Savage Dragon's origin, which was only available um, in the Image Comics 25th anniversary or 10th anniversary hardcover. Um, but other than that, it's all brand new material. I'd say about a good three-fourths of it is brand new material, including the return of Savage Dragon's main villain, Overlord. Um, you know, I hate to ruin the ending of the issue. Uh, you know, Savage Dragon dies. Uh, he basically gets blown to bits. But it's not the first time Savage Dragon has died. Uh, at this point, you know, I love Eric Larson, but his character's died so many times, it's just a matter of time before he comes back, I think. Uh, if not next issue. Um, so... You know, the ending doesn't really have a lot of oomph to it, but it's a great bargain, and even if you don't read Savage Dragon on a regular basis, you know, it, it's written in such a way that you can still follow the storyline, and there's so much in the back, you know, the backup features, that I think it's, you know, it's definitely worth the six bucks, whether you're a fan of the series or not. And that's Savage Dragon 150 from Image Comics. 
And that, those were my big picks. Well, excellent. Well, my big pick uh, this week is Thor, um, issue 602, and it's actually from last week. It came out last week. Oh, you cheated um, too. Yeah, well, you know, we are. I, I already, you know, glowed and shined on uh, Justice League Cry for Justice. So, you know, I, I figured I could throw some love somewhere else. And I have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of the Thor books. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon 5 fame. Um, has done a marvelous job over the last, gosh, uh, almost two dozen issues, I'm guessing, if not more, of really reinstating Thor back to the Marvel Universe as you know a, a, an important character. Um, we have seen Thor's importance and credibility and uh, quality ebb and flow over the years. I mean, you can't be around for 600 plus issues and not have some some peaks and valleys in your quality. But uh, Straczynski has been just Johnny on it from the get-go in bringing Thor back after uh, the disassembled storyline from a couple of years ago where Thor and all the other Asgardian gods die in in Ragnarok. And Thor has, is really much more grounded now. He seems much more godlike. And uh, this book kind of ties in a bit to the Dark Reign storyline going on in Marvel Comics right now, in that uh, Loki has. Lo- <laughs> Loki and Balder have. Yeah, I said it. I said Balder. Uh, <laughs> have moved uh, the Asgardian gods from their home in Oklahoma, which always kind of cracked me up because, you know, Asgard was destroyed. So, you know, they had to, you know, pick a place to live uh, on Earth. And so Thor settled them in Oklahoma, you know, right across the border here in Texas. And um, since Thor was banished from Asgard, which I won't go into all the details of that, but he's kind of an outsider at the moment, uh, Thor, uh, Loki has made alliances with Doctor Doom and moved everybody to Latveria. So, you know, hijinks are bound to ensue. Um, this issue is kind of a transition issue into the, the, the more of the Dark Reign storyline. Um, Thor has, hel- has held on to his father's power, and, you know, Odin being you know, the, the big supreme god who uh, died in, in the Ragnarok, or actually prior to the Ragnarok storyline. Um, Thor has held on to that power, so he's been even more powerful than he normally would. So this is the issue where that that storyline is resolved. Um, this is an easy book to jump onto. You could jump on now, and I think understand what's going on. So I think I think it's a good opportunity for new readers. But I highly recommend going out there and picking up the uh, the earlier. Uh, issues in this run. In fact, you can pick up both of them in, uh, there's two trade paperback volumes right now that are out there and very reasonably priced. They are just a fantastic read. They are stories that, that you read once and you feel like you got to go read them again because they're just that good. And the artwork is fantastic. It has uh, continually received high marks from me and, uh, and other critics. It's just been terrific. So uh, Thor is my big pick for the week. Which is great. I mean, you know, I agree. I, uh, I haven't picked up more recent issues, but I've been picking it up in trade. Um, I picked up the first two trades of Straczynski's run. Great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. And, uh, you know, I hate to, to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe you know this already, that Straczynski is leaving the title. Yeah, I'd heard that. Yeah, it's a shame, but it sounds like he doesn't... He's leaving, 
because of editorial mandate. It sounds like he doesn't really want to be involved in the Dark Reign type stuff and what's coming yeah. up after. It seems like Thor's going to have a big part in what's coming after Dark Reign. And uh, Straczynski just kind of wants to tell his own stuff. So it's a shame you know, that he's I, leaving. I, I, we hear that a lot, you know, where single-issue books are titled, standalone titles are interfered with through editorial decision. And I don't know why you would mess with this. Thor is probably more popular now than he's been in 20 years. He's pro- He's got better sales than he's had in forever. Why would you mess with that? You know, if you got a guy like J. Michael Straczynski who can turn in a script and it's interesting and it's there, there's a timelessness to it, why in the world would you mess with that? I don't get it. And you know what? I kind of have a hard time believing Dark Reign has been hugely successful for Marvel. I really do. Well, I see, and I jumped off. Yeah, yeah I, I've Marvel jumped off guy. of most of the titles yeah. from Marvel. I really have. So Yeah. You know, but on the bright side of things, uh, you know, the news came out this week that J.H. Williams, the third, wants to stay with Detective Comics for at least 12 issues. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is great because uh, Detective Comics, A54, the first issue of his and Greg Rucka's run. Rucka? Rucka? Yeah, Rucka. Rucka. Um, Their run started last week, and it was absolutely phenomenal. That is a beautiful book. Um, Yeah. I had the good fortune to meet Greg Rucka last week. In fact, we're going to play that interview here in just a few moments. But I got to tell you, this book is beautiful. J.H. Williams the third, sorry, didn't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> uh, he, I mean, has just drawn a masterful, masterful book. Uh, and the writing is is perfect. In fact, I, I don't know if you follow Matt Sturgis on Twitter, but he's like, you know, I really want to see the script. <laughs> you know, he was just he was just that impressed with with the tying up both the art and the and the and the story that he just was marveling at it and wanted to see how it was scripted. But I, I'm a big fan. I, I, I got to tell you, this book is just beautiful. And I, I was have been rather critical about how long it took to introduce the character in 52 and then actually get her out there in something meaningful. Yeah, and you know, of course, you know the big splash is that you know she's a lesbian. Um, but you know, so there was a lot of media attention to it back in '52, less so this time around. But I would have liked to have seen it sooner. But I'm pleased that DC has has chosen to trot it out in the fashion that it has because they put a lot of resources behind it, a lot of a lot of talent behind it. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Rucka and uh, Williams are, are both just extraordinarily talented. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even the backup feature, um, co-feature, whatever they want to call it, uh, starring yeah. The Question with art by Cully Hamner. You know, yeah. um, well, and I know you're a Cully Hamner fan. I am. I am. And I like his designs uh, for Montoya, Renee Montoya, The New Question. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the first time I've seen her look like R- Renee Montoya and The Question at the same time. Usually it's just right. Renee Montoya in The Question's clothing. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's a great start. Uh, you know, I'm very interested to see where both stories go. Um, you know, and uh, I, I'm really a big fan already. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really digging it. This is good stuff. Alrighty, well, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm I will go ahead and play that interview, and uh, then Paul and I will be back for some final comments. Yes. Alrighty, Aaron Head, Greg Rucka for IdeologyOfMadness.com. So, uh, sorry, I've got notes it's here. Sorry. Um, right now, you're writing two of the biggest superhero titles in comics ever. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, ever. Or so far. <laughs> Action Comics, Detective Comics, uh, how do you balance writing these two iconic monthly titles? 
Oh man, <laughs> actually you do balance them. You know, it's it's uh, you do the work. It's a job, and, and and you do the work. So I guess if I spent too much time thinking about, wow, this is action comics, or this is detective comics, I I wouldn't be able to get a word out. So. You know, I, 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 I don't tend to focus on the title as much as the story I'm trying to tell. Yeah. I guess that's the way you balance it, is that you focus on the story. Do you have difficulty switching gears between, you know, so very different style of books? Um, not, not really, because there tends to be a lot of pre-work before I actually start typing up a script. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about what I'm going to write for a very long time, and there tend to be now more and more notes. Okay. The older I get, the more notes I take. Right. Um, so the transition isn't actually as, as as difficult as you might imagine. It's harder to switch between comics and novels. Right, right. So you kind of you got your, your, the notes kind of get you into that thought process. Yeah, and and you know I, I, I need to now remind myself of what I was planning on doing. <laughs> I'll forget. So we've seen a lot of uh, amazing preview art from uh, J. H. Williams for, yeah. for a Detective. Um, how how did that selection for the artist? Take place. That was an editorial decision. It was proposed to me by Peter Tomasi when he was uh, going to be editing the book, and he put J.H. and I together, and we got on very well. And it was a, we had really good conversations about sort of what I wanted to do with the story and and what he wanted to do artistically and how we could bring those together. Uh, but that was that was that was Pete Tomasi. What's your process working with the artist? Well, with Jim, it's um, with Jim, it's, it's it's a little different because I tend to I tend to break down my story very carefully with my editor, mm-hmm. uh, and then I will go from there, you know, with my notes. Th- at which point I'll, I'll call up Jim, mm-hmm. and I'll say, okay, so I'm sitting down to write the script. These are the things I'm thinking. These are the scenes we're going to need. How do you want to approach them? What do you want? And then he'll come back at me with composition or layout, design ideas, mm-hmm. you know, and most of the time he pretty much I'll tell him what I see the scene as I said this scene has to happen this happens this happens this happens and almost instantly he seems to he can visualize it in his head the way he wants to do it so he'll sort of tell me oh well you know what I want to do I'll try it like this and so on so the scripts for for detective tend to be very much scripts that say this is that thing that we talked about (laughs) you know Um, versus on a lot of other books it tends to be far more uh, direct um, description of the action. Right. Um, you know, I work with Cully uh, Hamner doing the Question Co. feature in Detective, and with Cully, there's similar conversations. Um, but with him, I think he and I feel both a little freer for me to write the script and say, all right, so Question does this, Question does that, Question does this. And when he gets that script, he he knows that what I'm saying is okay this is this is this is the story we are trying to tell you make the choices that will tell it best right um, you know the the greatest pleasure as a writer is to work with artists you trust right um, and I'm, I've been real fortunate in that so. excellent um, so what's planned for the uh, upcoming Batwoman arc uh, will she be meeting the new Batman no no how far do you have it plotted out I've got the first 12 to 18 issues plotted. Mm-hmm. We have seven written and 
sixth is being drawn. So we, we shouldn't be expecting any big crossovers. We can just no. stick with Detective and no. hear the read the story. No, we made, we made a decision fairly early on that we wanted to give her what we felt was a, a good chance to stand on her own after right. after sort of waiting in the in the wings all this time. So uh, you know we we worked very hard to kind of insulate her. Um, she's the, where she's appearing elsewhere is very limited, and by the same token, her interaction with the rest of Gotham is fairly limited. It'll happen, um, but we really wanted to make sure that she was her own person first, yeah. and then we could start, you know, having her meet up with with Red Robin and things like that. It really seems like y- y'all have taken a lot of uh, time and energy to uh, create the best opportunity for her to be an A-list character. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, you know, no, well, nobody ever. I, I don't think anybody ever creates a character with the hope that this character will be forgotten in two years. <laughs> you know, I, and with us, you know, we we've been very deliberate in many of the choices. The goal is to create a character, and in particular, to create uh, an origin that people are going to be able to pick up in ten years, fifteen years, and it's still going to stand. Right. So for that reason, you know, Batman appears in 854. But you don't know if it's Dick or it's Bruce. Right. And that's very intentional. I don't, you know, you shouldn't be able to tell because in 10 or 15 years, you shouldn't have to pick up this first story and right. know the battle for the cowl was going on at the same time. Right. Um, if you do know, it shouldn't diminish it. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't be obligated to it. Excellent. <clears throat> so way back in 52... Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> realize the wind was sure. blowing this way. Uh, way back in 52, it was uh, alluded to the fact that uh, Catherine Kane wasn't the first Catherine Kane in her family. Is it possible that her origins have anything to do with the multiverse? Nope. She's strictly a New Earth kind of girl? Yeah, the reference... I understand a lot of what was going on in 52, we were playing fast and loose, and we're right. trying to... So, <laughs> we've been trying to reconcile it. It's She's got a stepmother. Her stepmother's name is Catherine. Okay. Her mother's full name is Catherine Hamilton hyphen Kane. Gotcha. All right, but her biological mother is. Uh, you, you'll find out more about her as the as, as detective goes on. Okay. Um, and you'll find out about as as, as she is referred to, Catherine the Elder. <laughs> the Hamiltons in Gotham are another old moneyed family, right. much like the Waynes. Right. Um, except they didn't make their money off of real estate; they made their money off of guns. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, so obviously the media's attention is primarily on Kate's sexuality, but she's also Jewish, um, which you know tends to be overlooked. Um, we saw her celebrating Hanukkah in '52. Will yeah. we be seeing more of her Jewish heritage in the past? Yeah, I mean you detect- see in you see in um, in '854, you know, there's there's Judaica in the apartment, mm-hmm. you know, where she lives. But it's it, you know it's 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 like her it's it's like her sexual orientation. It's an element of character. It's right. not, I think, of issue. It's like. It would be like saying her hair's red, you know, and making that of issue. And it's just, to me, it's, it's vaguely absurd. Well, that was my next question. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> We're offending all the redheads out That's there. Right. Um, we had some readers ask some questions. Sure. Uh, and so Joe asked, uh, what goals are required uh, to be met for Batwoman to continue as the leading detective? What goals are required? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how to answer the question because it is a given at some point Batman will right. resume being the lead in detective. Right. The question really is only one of uh, at what point. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that there's an editorial calendar and they have 
a plan. Right. I am not privy to those dates. Right. And that's not because they're being kept from me. It's because they're irrelevant to me right now. Right. Um, you know, if, if the character suddenly crashes and burns and... Uh, and we've created a disaster. She'll she'll be she'll be leaving very soon. Um, I, but you know, I, I would say it's safe to it's safe to to guess she's going to be there at least for a year. Okay. And the goal being that she rolls into her own title. And when we'll Batman see. Returns. I mean, it, we'll see. You know, it's the first issue is clearly getting a lot of attention and it's clearly selling very well. Right. If numbers uh, still are, are are reasonably good. You know, by the time we get around to lunch, gentlemen, I'm good. Thanks. Think, um, by the time we get to like issue 12 or so on, you know, if the time comes to shift her somewhere else, then certainly DC is going to look for uh, a look at the opportunity of giving her her own title. Uh, I mean, that's just common sense. You know, that's the, that's the way that that that's definitely how they'd approach it. One of our other readers asked, "Whatever happened to Cassandra Kane? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I'm working on it. <laughs> what do you think will make uh, Batwoman truly unique and hope her keep her thriving as a member of the DC Universe? Look, I think that the thing that makes characters last is um, is is we find a way to connect with them. And we find something in them that, that we can associate with and that we can admire and, and we can pursue. Um, I think... It isn't simply limited to a cool factor, though a cool factor is, is clearly a part of it. But I think that you've got to be able to build some sort of emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, then, you know, the reader's not going to give a rat's ass. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we do our job well, if we do it the way we want to, then what we're going to end up doing is create a character that people are going to like. Right. And they're going to like her as well as think that she's neat, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. That's the goal. So. How long, how long before uh, publication did the media campaign start? When did y'all start, you know, building up the energy for it? God, I'm not sure there's an answer to that. Um, you know, she was announced years ago. Right. Right. And that was that was a that was a premature announcement. Right. So, you know, I think with with the announcement, the official announcement in February that she was going to be undetected, I think we. That was that was very much controlled. Right. This is what we want to now say. Um, you know, there's been an advertising push. Um, I don't think the mainstreams actually picked up on it this time because I think they were far more. You know, I, I find it ironic. They're far more interested in the potential right. of a lesbian Batwoman than they are in an actual reality of oh hey this is a really good comic. Right. And the main character is also queer. Right. Um, but you know, then again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a story of my life is the the book came out the week that you know, Mark Sanford decided nobody will notice if I'm in Argentina yeah. for three days. <laughs> um, you know, Farrah Fawcett died, a yeah, man Michael died, Jackson. and Michael Jackson died. Yeah. Guess what? We're going to hit the bottom of the cycle. Uh, the fact of the matter is, though, the book's going to be around. Yeah. And uh, I would not be surprised if some heat comes on it in the next couple weeks or with the next couple issues. Um, so uh, with uh, eight-page backups, does that affect... How, how does that affect your usual Sorry, process? They're called co-features. Sorry, co-features. <laughs> <laughs> how does that impact how, you're, how you pace your story? Well, I mean, y- y- comics is like... 
writing for comics is like playing a game of chess. You have a limited number of moves. Right. And as you spend your pages, you have fewer and fewer. So, you know, in general, you tend to block out the usage of your pages very carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, working with JH very, very carefully because I'll go to him and he'll say, well, this is what I'm picturing and this is the room I'm going to need. So then we have to sit there and finagle the script, make sure it fits. Um, when you have an eight-page co-feature or a ten-page co-feature, and it becomes ten pages as of 870, I don't know, um, what is it for? Seven or eight, 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 eight fifty-seven or eight fifty-eight. We go to ten pages in the co-feature, and you know that that changes how you tell the story. You tell a quicker story. You, right. you, you it's much punchier. Mm-hmm. You you don't get to spend. I can't spend six pages with people talking. Right. So. Um. So you've worked on Batman before uh, with your previous run of Detective mm-hmm. uh, during No Man's Land, which I'm a fan. Mm. Um, the novelization of the event and, of course, Gotham Central. How does it feel coming back to Gotham City? I'm, I'd forgotten how much I missed it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the best answer I can give you. I'd forgotten how much I missed being in Gotham. Um, so going back a couple of years, uh, you worked on the big Gotham Knights animated project, mm-hmm. uh, writing one of the highlights of the movie Crossfire. Mm-hmm. Um, how is writing for an animated version of Gotham different from writing the comics? You know, when you write for a comic, there's a... I'm, I, I can't draw, so everything I do in the medium is collaborative. Right. When you're writing animation, it's even, it, it, it's even more, but it's less collaborative, right. because... I had no input in how they executed that script sure. at all. Yeah. I wrote a script. Mm-hmm. Um, the script was approved. People seemed to like the script. Then they gave the script to the animation house, and a director took it on, and the animators took it on, and they interpreted it as they liked. And I had no input in how they did it. Right. So it's it's odd because it's it's very much you send it out there, and then you kind of hope, yeah. you know, that it's going to execute the way you envisioned it. Um, so, with uh, Superman, World of New Krypton, and the action comics, you're working in a much different Superman universe than has been seen in quite a while. Turns the page. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up in action comics, and how is it again uh, writing these different characters like Nightwing and Flamebird? We've got a big crossover starting in August. that um, starts in World of New Krypton, mm-hmm. and then it moves through all the titles, so it goes into action, and then into Supergirl, and then Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and across the over, it's, it's called Codename Patriot, and that everything we're doing across the board in the Superman books is all related in one way or another. We're building uh, a foundation for a storyline, and, and it seems to be working. Um, writing characters like Flamebird and Nightwing, Chris and Thara, uh, or Thara and Chris, I guess, to, to parallel properly. You know, it's it's kind of terrifying because again if you go I'm in action comics writing characters that aren't Superman right um, but at the same time it's very liberating because I'm writing characters that people don't really know and consequently it becomes again I get to show people and say you know here's who they are they've got interesting stories to me I hope you find them kind of cool excellent alrighty and uh, last question mm-hmm. uh, moving on to some of your other work have you been involved in the upcoming film adaptation of your series Whiteout well, the movie comes out September 11th this year. Uh-huh. That is now confirmed. It will be out on 9-11. Is that is scary? It, <laughs> you know, it's a date people are going to remember. Yeah. Um, I was on set for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. I did some very minor rewriting uh, on a couple of scenes. I was asked to participate. Uh, and that was a hoot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I... I 
I get annoyed when people say, well, you know, The Lord of the Rings, they made horrible, those aren't the books. It's like, of course they're not. They're movies. (laughs) And you can't shoot what Steve Lieber and I did. You can't. You'd have a really bad film. Right. You have to take that material, you have to mine it, find what's going to work on screen, and then you've got to tailor a story for the screen. And an attempt to do otherwise is is destined to end in failure, I think. So, you know, I'm excited. I think that uh, I haven't seen the final cut. Everyone I know who's seen the final cut says it's really quite good. Excellent. They're very excited about it. My understanding is Warner Brothers is very happy with the movie. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it the way everybody else is. Excellent. Excellent. There you go. Well, thank you, Greg. You're very welcome. I appreciate you. Nice talking. Yes, sir. Um, You working on any novels right now? I'm starting the new new novel probably in the next two weeks, which will be the new Queen and Country one. Excellent. All right. Well, you know, we want to thank Greg Rucka for uh, taking the, the time to chat with us. Uh, that was a lot of fun interviewing him. Uh, it was a terrific signing. I spoke to Richard Neal over at Zeus Comics. He said they had people all day. And I was there from uh, at least the first two and a half hours or so. And there was a steady line of folks to buy comics and get comics signed uh, by Greg Rucka. So uh, a lot of energy on this Batwoman uh, Detective Comics book. And I, 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 for one, am very eager to pick up 855. I'm guessing you're sticking around for 855? Oh, yeah. I'm... I'm, I'm- I'm sticking around for the run, I, I think, based on what I've been hearing and reading already. Excellent. So I think now um, would be a good time to kind of tell you uh, some upcoming stuff coming to Ideology of Madness. Uh, sticking on the Batman front, we've got an interview coming up with Dustin Wen, uh, the artist of Streets of Gotham, uh, which just started uh, again this month, written by Paul Dini. They had a great absolutely great run on Detective Comics before the current one with uh, Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams III. We gave away uh, actually a hardcover of a piece of their run, the beginning of their run, and uh, they did the excellent Heart of Hush storyline, and they just started on Streets of Gotham number one, so we've got an interview and a contest for some signed Dustin Wen goodies. So oh, wow, keep an that's eye great. Out for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're coming to this podcast not through our website, Check out www.ideologyofmadness.com. We've got some great stuff on there. We just posted an interview with the creators of Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. Um, We've got uh, Dustin Higgins and Van Jensen, the artist and writer of the series, uh, coming this September from Slave Labor Graphics. It looks like a lot of fun. It seems like an idea that should have been thought of 100 years ago, but... You know, um, <laughs> it really does. It seems so obvious, but it's it's a great idea, and I'm really glad that I was able to talk to those guys. Um, we just ended a contest with the writer of Wonderful Wizard of Oz from Marvel Comics, Eric Shanower, and yeah. we're going to be posting an interview with him later on uh, next week. So we've got a lot of great stuff coming up to the website. And that's a, that's a good point you made there. If you're, if you're coming to the podcast not through the website, uh, do click over to ideologyofmadness.com because uh, if we geek about it, we speak about it. There's all kinds of information there. Uh, we're writing about comics. We're writing about movies. We're writing about role-playing games. We're writing about video games. Just anything that turns us on, we're writing about it. And the one of the most important things is we're always giving stuff away. 
I mean, I, I think that uh, here recently, I think we had as many as uh, three contests running at the same time. So uh, do click on over to Ideology of Madness. Uh, we like to give stuff away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we started with Final Crisis, uh, giving away Final Crisis books. You know, and it's just stepped up from there. We give away oh, 100 yeah. free comics, signed copies of the Detective Comics uh, that we just spoke about. We've got a lot of yeah. great stuff coming up. That's, that's right. right. So, uh, well, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next time with all new uh, funny books to chat about. Uh, Paul, it was a good time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thank you for joining. Yes, yes sir. sir. We'll, we'll chat, chat with you guys, guys later. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.